passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your UFC 284 post show. I am John Pollock, joined by Eric Marcotte, who is here with us. And, uh, Eric, I'm getting a feedback on your end if you've got the, uh, the, the player going on your end. Uh, uh, I am also hearing feedback, and I think it's from your end. Well, we will, uh, <laughs> I think we are off to a, a, a roaring start, uh, a fantastic uh, start. We're off to about as great a start as the judging was at UFC 284 on Saturday night. Hey, it's already gone, and much like the uh, the judging issues uh, in last night's UFC card, they got him out of the way early. So, yeah, I'm I'm guessing probably five people were watching this fight on uh, Fight Pass at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time, but a just uh, mind boggling decision that we will uh, probably spend uh, 30 seconds on later on in the show. <laughs> but we have many more bigger fights to discuss from Saturday. It was the UFC's return to pay per view uh, in Perth, Western Australia, over 14,000 in attendance, uh, of which they were saying it was half full for that very first fight. They all came to see Zubera Tahugov at 7 a.m. local time. So, I mean, Eric, if, if a UFC pay-per-view w- was coming to your wonderful area, uh, would you be making the trek out at uh, 5.30 in the morning to get there for a 7 a.m. start time? Um, I'm I'm a completionist, so of course I would. But let me tell you, when they said the arena was half full for that first preliminary fight, uh, <laughs> the camera said otherwise. <laughs> the um, It might have been... Uh, Literally in the shot, it was half full of people. If you could see maybe a hundred seats and 50 were filled, but hey, this, this audience was tremendous throughout the night. And by the time that main event hit, it sounded like there were 50,000 people inside of this arena. That was an electric, uh, atmosphere for that main event, pretty much for the whole duration that, um, you know, they, they very much want to see Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, win this fight. The atmosphere for this card, especially the main event, was absolutely incredible. I thought it was right up there with the uh, UFC London and France cards from last year, which just had electric uh, crowds throughout their major fights. And perhaps this one was even bigger, just given the uh, the level of a matchup we were looking at in the main event. So how big was this fight in your orbit uh, in the days leading up to it? I was really stoked for this fight from the time they announced it. And there was a lot of discussion over the week, including from the fighters, about how effectively UFC has promoted this fight. But come fight time, this certainly felt like this was, I think everyone understood just how important this fight was and two guys in their primes fighting one another at their best. 
I was in the sim boat. I was really excited for the main event here. It's not too often you see two fighters uh, from different weight classes at this level competing at the height of their careers. And uh, that's exactly what we got here. In terms of the promotion, yeah, I can't say like, I don't know if I saw any UFC promoted content throughout the week. It's something that personally, I've just been cutting way back on over the years. I I watched less and less of the interviews and the press conferences and whatnot. So I may not be the best person to ask about the UFC's promotion, which was quite the topic of debate throughout the week. But I can match up itself certainly grabbed me for the main event. I mean, you could have had either one of these guys maybe pop up on Power Slap for uh, an impromptu interview this past week. I mean, that could have been done. This this was a, a pay-per-view that was one of Dana's. I'm, I'm staying back home for this one. Yeah, uh, absolutely shocking that he wouldn't make the trip out to Australia on a Super Bowl weekend. Well, we are going to start off with the uh, main event, which did see... Islam Makachev win by unanimous decision. I thought this was an outstanding fight, and I'm certain that you could you could debate several of the rounds. But when this fight began, I mean, this crowd was, as I said, just on the on their feet and pretty much uh, stood that way for the entire 25 minutes. Very dramatic fight that this to me was the most vulnerable we had seen uh, Makachev outside of. You know, the one loss that he had way back in, in 2015, but uh, the most strikes landed on Makachev. And in this fight, and we'll go through the rounds itself, but this was one where we got to see the level of grappling that Volkanovsky has and also a, a sense of where Makachev is striking wise, because this fight was predominantly contested on the feet. Yeah, so I, I mean, I was already high on Volkanovsky's grappling ability from more or less the Jose Aldo fight onwards, but to do it against a man the size of Islam Makachev is another matter entirely. And especially someone like he's going to have to use, in Volkanovsky's case, that is, he had to use his defensive wrestling here, which isn't something we've had to see often. For Islam, I thought this was actually very revealing. Yes, he did drop, uh, he's knocked opponents out in the past. He dropped Charles Oliveira before finishing him in his last fight. But I thought his striking looked phenomenal throughout this bout, especially in the early rounds. Uh, his counters were fantastic. His timing was uh, catching Volkanovski repeatedly. Uh, I thought both fighters really even surpassed the high expectations that you would have for the two top pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Yeah, Volkanovski was, he landed like the first big shot of the fight, but then it's Islam who catches Volk and puts him to a knee in the first round and then would get back control. And it's good defensive posturing by Volkanovski, but Islam gets him down and even had his hook, uh, his hooks in by the time the round ended. Into the second we go, and this time Volkanovski connects with, uh, connects with a shot, and Makachev is trying for a single immediately, putting Volkanovski against the fence. Volk gets to his feet, and then it's Makachev landing several shots that back Volkanovski up. We're seeing him pepper in his jabs, and then ends the round, uh, clinching against the fence. So we'll kind of go in sections on this fight. After two rounds, uh, how did you have this one scored? And the, the second I thought was a pretty close round. Uh, I thought both of the first two rounds were very close. I, I gave the slight edge to Islam Makachev in both of them, but I would not argue if you gave either to Alexander Volkanovsky as well as many did. I was up to nothing with it with Makachev after after two rounds a, as well. The third um, I thought was uh, Volkanovsky, and I did see some give the second to Volkanovsky, but the third to me was a... Uh, stronger round for Volkanovsky. We see uh, him land w- w- with a big right, and Makachev is working for takedowns throughout the fight. Volkanovsky never got a takedown in the fight, but came 
exceptionally close in in the fifth round, but it was Makachev with uh, repeated takedowns in, in the fight. There's a slip by Makachev, and Volk nearly gets the takedown here at the end of the third, does not quite get it. And into the championship rounds we go. Again, this is – your scores could be all over the place at this, but it was uh, – Tremendous theater just watching this and how close it was. And the fact that uh, Makachev looked vulnerable here and Volkanovsky, I, I was blown away by the, the betting lines. And I know that these lines are set to try and encourage action and such. But when Makachev closed at a minus 380 favorite and was largely favored by a lot of people going into this fight, I saw this as so close that, I mean, I would not have been able to make a, a solid prediction either way going into this one. But, you know, the, the lines had Volkanovsky as a pretty sizable underdog. And the, the fight certainly bore out, like, just how close these two were at, at lightweight. I was leaning towards Islam Magachev going into the, but the lines, yeah, either the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world, like a minus 300 underdog or plus 300 underdog, it was ridiculous and as the fight played out it kind of showed how wild those odds were going into it so we go to the the fourth round and maybe the most uh beautiful sequence of this fight is uh makachev goes uh for a left hand and then this beautifully timed takedown. Makachev just ducks under and takes down Volkanovsky. He gets a body lock applied and then uh, is blocking, the fence is blocking Volkanovsky on his one side and it's all ground control here by Makachev but Volkanovsky continues to defend any any choking threats and Volkanovsky is complaining to uh, Mark Goddard at points of like, stand me up and I always get annoyed at those. It's like, well, then get up and he wants to stand up, doesn't get it and then he starts peppering Makachev with strikes at the end from the position. And uh, I, I still gave this round to uh, to Makachev. And then we go to the fifth round. And in this round, this was Volkanovsky's biggest round. He starts off with a leg kick. And then it's Makachev with a knee that Volkanovsky walks right into. More knees from uh, the, the stand-up exchange by Makachev. And Volkanovsky is cut right around his left eye. He misses and then gets taken down. But Volkanovsky scrambles right back to his feet. Very impressive recovery. And then he's showing excellent defense. Can't get Makachev down. But a left hand stuns Makachev. He goes to the ground and he's in Volkanovsky is in his guard and ends the fight very strong in that guard position. So by the end of five rounds, Eric, I had it a 48, 47 for Makachev and the referee or the judges scored at 49, 46 and then two 48, 47 scorecards. But what was Eric Marcotte's scorecard after five? I actually saw the fight 48, 47 for Volkanovsky. I gave Volkanovsky the last three rounds with the one that, uh, most uh, differentiated from the judges' scorecard being round four. I gave... So this was the round, of course, for anyone who may have forgot. This is the round in which Islam takes Volkanovski down with roughly three minutes to go, and he largely stays on his back for the remainder of the round. That's typically something that will earn you a round, but Islam, from my perspective, he never really threatened any submissions, nor did he do any damage nor advance his position throughout the round. So for three minutes, you just kind of have Volkanovsky peppering him with, you know, rather ineffective shots from his back. But that was the only thing happening in the round. And in a round in which nothing happens, control time weighs heavily on the judges' scorecards. But there, I thought there was just enough done by Volkanovsky to give him the edge in the round. So that factor of the scoring criteria, we didn't quite reach that in my mind. 
Yeah, the fourth round seemed to be the toughest round to score. Uh, when, when you look at at the numbers, like this was the least activity of either fighter was round four, where Volkanovski outstruck him by a grand total of six to four in that round. So it was uh, the least output from from either guy. And that seemed to be the most contentious round of all of them. But some other stats here, uh, Makachev getting four of nine takedowns while Volkanovski was 0 for four. Uh, but in total, uh, well, in significant strikes, Volkanovski out struck Makachev over five rounds, 70 to 57. So this is a guy in Islam Makachev who, over the course of a 15-minute fight, averages less than one strike absorbed per uh, per minute. So you're looking at Makachev who, you know, tremendously defensively aware, and Volkanovsky was able to uh, break through that in a big way. And afterwards, obviously, there is a direct um, direction for Volkanovsky with the interim title fight that we'll get to. Uh, for Makachev, yes, there are contenders at lightweight, but the number one fight I want to see is the rematch of this one, Eric. Like, <laughs> this is the one I want to see revisited because I think this fight could go, they, they could fight five times and you could have multiple wins for either guy. I thought that these two are so closely matched and I would love to see another five rounds of this at some point. I'm in the same boat. I thought this bet was phenomenal. You cannot complain about the scorecards either way, and I want to see it happen again down the line. We've already seen that Alexander Volkanovsky is really somebody who can make those changes going into a big rematch and fight with a completely different strategy in an effective fashion. We haven't seen that from Islam Makachev yet, but I don't really have any doubts that if they rematch, he'll be even better as well. Uh, I, I thought this was just a tremendous fight and a tremendous performance from both men. Only in this current landscape could uh, Islam Makachev be looking at potential opponents uh, in the next year of Benil Dariush and Co- Conor McGregor. Is there a greater <laughs> yeah. disparity of option A and option B of like uh, p- potential ones that are out there? And even more to that point, if if Charles Oliveira beats Benil Dariush, which is a very possible outcome, um, it could it certainly would uh, strengthen the the people that believe Conor McGregor comes in and gets a win over Michael Chandler, um, him fighting for the title. You cannot discount that as an option, but uh, I would rather see this rematch a hundred times more than I would Conor McGregor fighting for any championship. We'll see if Conor McGregor ever even attempts to make 155 again. I really don't think that's ever happening under any circumstance, but... uh, Is Islam Makachev also... Is Islam Makachev also, like, maybe the worst stylistic fight for Conor McGregor... uh, of any era, much less this current one. Uh, he's as rough of a matchup as anybody who doesn't have like a considerable size advantage, that is. So if I was Conor McGregor looking at uh, big fights, I- I'm not sure that would be first on my list of options. Awesome fight. I think that this will be... This has all the ingredients of what usually produces a fight of the year in that the stakes were enormous. The fight turned out like... Usually you get a, like a long drawn out fight that is back and forth. This one certainly was it. We might see better fights this year, but this to me is the clear cut number one. This is, this is the, uh, the Omega Osprey of, uh, of MMA to start off our, our year, Erica. Do, do, do you see a potential that we'll be talking about this one at the end of the year? I think uh, a very strong chance that we will be talking about this come December. That's not to say we can't see something even better, but just given the stakes and the drama of this one and the atmosphere, my God, the atmosphere, uh, it's going to be hard to top. 
Oban St. Preux is fighting soon, so we, we should hold our breath as well. Uh, but definitely go out of your way to see this fight. And as Eric said, I think you can go. I think 48-47 either way is completely justifiable. There were some very close rounds, especially round number four. But at the end of it, like when we go back, like a similar setup was George St. Pierre and BJ Penn, the second fight when Penn came up as lightweight champion. And, you know, the result of that, that was like a pretty concise win for St. Pierre. But nonetheless, Penn went back to lightweight and he was this enormous draw for the rest of that year. Um, this case, like Volkanovsky lost nothing. In fact, I think he gained from this fight. It, it, many people viewing him as the, the top pound for pound fighter, even though he lost this fight, but. I mean, this guy's stock to me only went up by being in such a high profile fight and being giving Makachev the most competitive fight that we have seen in years for him. And, you know, realistically, Adriano Martins landed a great head kick on him. This was a guy taking it to him for 25 minutes. Yeah, I I really like what you said there. I mean, even before we got into the fifth round, which was by far the most decisive round for Volkanovsky, I remember saying that. This is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Regardless of the outcome of this fight, I really feel that way about Alexander Volkanovsky. This is a special talent. This is a guy who moved up in weight class. He had a huge size advantage against Islam here. It was it was very clear from the opening round when you actually saw these guys share the octagon how big the size disadvantage was. But he brought the fight for, to him for 25 minutes and arguably won. He's, he's just a remarkable talent. Do you like this weight class for Volkanovsky as a, a permanent move at some point? He's so talented that he will succeed despite the disadvantages of fighting at 155. And those do exist, even against a guy like Charles Oliveira, who takes a lot of risks. Yes, he's there to be hit, but has that size and power advantage. Like there, It's going to be more dangerous for him than Featherweight will be. But he is so talented that he can game plan, strategize, and use his own strengths to overwhelm those disadvantages going into these big fights. So I, I do think we'll see more from him in the future at 155. But perhaps we're a couple years away from that. He is, you know, featherweight to me is like the best weight class for him. But when you look at just big fights for him, a lot of those live at lightweight. But just an, an outstanding performance by both individuals. But I think with Volkanovski, I mean, this is a, this is a all time great, great fighter uh, that, that he is showing with like the wins on his resume. And then this this performance as well. We'll move on down the card because you know what? Alexander Volkanovsky taking a fight at lightweight. That means, hey, what are we going to do about this featherweight division? We need an interim title, which we are just going to call uh, a number one contenders fight. That's what this was. Yair Rodriguez taking on Josh Emmett. So Emmett, um, quite the list of victories en route to this after a fight with Jeremy Stevens uh, five years ago that um, – I didn't think that guy was going to live uh, past that fight because he took uh, an ungodly amount of damage and came back, uh, wins against Michael Johnson, Mursad Bektic, Shane Burgos, Dan Ige, and then a very close split decision victory over Calvin Cater in his last fight. If you have not seen this Jeremy Stevens fight, I mean, dude, Josh Emmett was destroyed in this fight. It was just brutal. And uh, here he is at 37, getting a shot at Yair Rodriguez. I mean, the man, the man went through uh, the gauntlet to arrive at this interim title fight. So God bless the man. I had actually forgotten about that Jeremy Stevens fight. Oh. He took so much damage in the finish there. He even like even once he's practically knocked out, he takes an illegal knee to the head that doesn't get called. It's <sighs> absolutely vicious. He missed like a year after that. It's it's one of those fights that is just parked in my memory of just <laughs> damaging fights. And here he is uh, coming back. But 
uh, dude, he ran into uh, an incredible version of Yair Rodriguez, who himself, like we have seen coming up through like tough Latin America in 2014 and has risen to become uh, one of the elite featherweights in the world. And dude, it was just his dynamic strikes here that were a, a huge difference maker in the first round. Uh, Emmett clicks, clips him with, with a right hand, and then as he's closing the distance, and then it's Rodriguez with a knee from the clinch, and Emmett puts him on the mat with a shot, is landing heavy ground and pound, and then an elbow uh, while in Rodriguez's guard. Um, so Emmett having a, a good first round here. I gave the first to him, but in the second, it's Rodriguez who starts attacking the body and just brutalizing uh, his midsection. There's a short elbow that stuns Emmett and then follows it with a big question mark kick, goes for a flying knee, and he is taken down with Emmett landing on top, and Yair is just throwing elbows off his back, and Emmett is in position for a triangle, which Rodriguez locks in, and he gets the submission at 419 of the second round. So a definitive win for Yair Rodriguez, who becomes the official, undisputed number one contender at the featherweight division. I yeah, I love after the fight where I think Michael Bisping says, "Oh, now do you want a shot at the undisputed champion, Alexander Volkanovsky?" Once again, proving that uh, the UFC has no understanding of the word <laughs> "undisputed," but that, that's fine. Yes, there is a. I, I guess there is a dispute coming coming out of this. He uh, he gets his championship. He was not going to say anything about the uh, about Volkanovsky who. Is in the back. I don't want to disrupt his meditation or preparation for the fight. A, a true, uh, a true mensch here is uh, Yair Rodriguez. Um, nonetheless, I think you come out of this. That's a really exciting featherweight fight. I, I don't, I don't think there's any featherweight in the world I'm going to favor against Alexander Volkanovsky right now. But uh, Yair Rodriguez will be an entertaining fight. But man, you are you are fighting arguably the best fighter in, in the world in Volkanovsky. Uh, I'm just going to echo your words. Yeah, it's impossible to favor any featherweight over Alexander Volkanovsky, who I expect to be a sizable favorite whenever him and Rodriguez do match up. But that being said, I thought this was an excellent performance from Yair Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. He His body work throughout this fight was excellent. He just attacking Josh Emmett from range. In the opening minutes of the fight, he lands like this trio of body kicks. And I didn't feel like Emmett ever completely recovered from them, to be honest, in the sense that he didn't fight with the typical confidence that he usually does. And really, his only moments of success came from either the Rodriguez slip or that big hand that rocked him near the end of the first. So uh, I thought this was just a fantastic performance from Yair Rodriguez, arguably his best performance to date in the UFC. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of that sentiment on Saturday night. And, you know, it's also when you look back, he's had four fights in four years, this being the fifth one in, in that stretch. And the last fight with Brian Ortega, I mean, we didn't even get started. So, I mean, he has made some uh, unbelievable advancements, but you know, that, that has been evident in, you know, the last number of years, but it seems to have all come together for him. Uh, and we'll, we will see. It's his greatest test ever against Volkanovsky. We move on to Jack Della Maddalena against Randy Brown. Another quick one here. Uh, Della Maddalena, he had won uh, four straight coming into this after a, uh, Sorry, he is, he's gone 3-0 in the UFC after winning on the Contender Series, uh, but uh, a sizable step up here in competition against Randy Brown. Uh, he catches Brown with a right hook right near the, the ear, and Brown just face plants. He looked 
This looked like uh, Tekken, where you would just nail the guy, and he would just plummet down into the ground, and he is hit with hammer fists, and then snatches the back of Brown and submits him in 213 of the first with a rear naked choke, and uh, Jack Della Maddalena improves to 14-2, and two and uh, becomes a, a welterweight to watch here. Uh, you know, this crowd went insane for him. Uh, Jack Della Maddalena has looked so impressive in his four UFC fights to this point. He's just demolished all four of his opponents. And this was a big step up in competition in Randy Brown. And it was this exact same result. Uh, I don't know exactly where we can gauge him yet. I'm not going to say future champion and get ahead of myself. But future ranked fighter? Definitely. No doubts about it. This guy's really entertaining and he's really good. Yeah, there there were a few... um... There were quite a number of uh, Australian-based fighters on this card, and we will get to one on the undercard as well in uh, Jack Jenkins that I think uh, among your standouts, but certainly Jack Della Maddalena, he already had that buzz going for himself, and I think this only uh, heightened that in terms of what what is this guy's ceiling uh, at at welterweight. Looked uh, very impressive here in the uh, short time that this fight lasted. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. But as much as we were uh, uh, looking at this, you know, pound for pound, best fighter in the world main event and what it was going to prove for everybody, I know then the week leading into this fight, the one that Eric really was just salivating over, how is this one going to go? Justin Taffa versus Parker Porter at heavyweight. And what kind of fight were we going to get out of these two? Who is a future ranked heavyweight here as uh Justin Taffa answers that question definitively. We did not want to come out of this with a question mark as to who is the greater heavyweight. Justin Taffa, a left hook sets up a short right uppercut and puts Parker Porter out at a minute six of the first round. And uh Justin Taffa, uh, he had uh building upon that excellent knockout win over Harry Hunsucker, another one of uh Eric's favorites here. Um, these are these are the kinds of heavyweight fights that Eric lives for. I was so scared this fight was going to go 15 minutes and I was so happy when it ended in 60 seconds. Have you been watching any of uh Sadiq Yusuf's uh, breakdowns that he has been doing on his YouTube channel? No, I didn't even know he had a YouTube channel. 
it's not a very uh he has just started this and it's it's like mma's best kept secret it, like these things get very few views but if you watch these it is him just reading off he does these previews in like five minutes and it's just like <laughs> well uh this fighter has this many vowels in there he just makes like the most ridiculous predictions based on him and he just looks at parker porter he's like if he could survive uh high school uh with this size he can survive justin taffa i'm picking parker porter i cannot do it justice but look up sadiq yusuf's youtube channel and his breakdowns of fight cards and you will not uh you will not be sorry i think they're right up your alley eric I will do that. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem as though his prediction cashed out this time. No, no, and uh, I, I would not. I would not take Sadiq Yusuf for, for betting purposes, nonetheless. But uh, yes, Justin Taffa wins, improves to six and three. He hasn't even had ten fights yet. But uh, here we go, looking out for that next generation of heavyweights. Uh, opening up the main card, we had Jimmy Crute taking on Alonzo Menafield. What a what a fight this was. It it, it was a great fight, but man, if if Alonzo Menafield could come in and say, how could I find a way to mess this one up for myself? Um, th- th- this would be it. So in the first round, uh, Menafield lands a pair of right hands and Jimmy Crute is going for the takedown and then lifts and, uh, slams him to the ground and he's on top in half guard, but Menafield scrambles free. Uh, Crute's going for a choke. They get back up. Uh, each are landing and Menafield is on the back, uh, with, with more strikes, drops Crute with a right hand and dude, Crute is rocked after several of these shots, and uh, the round ends. Menafield uh, nearly stopping Crute in this round. In the second, Menafield drops him again, and Crute holds on for a single as he's trying to recover, and Menafield is just lighting him up with his jabs. Big shots as Crute lands against the fence. This guy's nearly out on his feet at this point, and you're waiting for Mark Goddard to just uh, call this one. But Crute then gets a takedown out of nowhere. He's clinching against the fence, and he gets through the round. But I had Menafield up two rounds here, going into the third. And then when it comes to uh, mid, mid-fight mid speeches, Pat Barry gives Alonzo Menafield the... Um, the speech of all speeches, and he just tells him, this is what we've been working for. It's five minutes. I'm not going to finish this because I don't want to, I don't want to get demonetized, but, um, he, he referred to him as a, as a mother, uh, with, uh, giving him all the motivation in the world to go into this third round. Guess what? This motivation didn't quite work unless it was avoid a takedown at all cost, all cost, meaning grab this fence in the most egregious fashion to the point that Mark Goddard Calls him on the fence grab, and he takes a point from Menafield for grabbing the fence. Dude, I celebrated this point deduction. I'm like, about time, about time. So Crute uh, continues and ends up uh, finishing the fight, and he pretty much dominates Menafield on top for the rest of this uh, fight. So he wins the third round, but with the point deduction, it's a 10-8. So I had it a draw, as did two judges. One had it 29-27 for Crute, and Alonzo Menafield by all measures, should have won this fight and walks away with a majority draw. I had a 28-28 as well. I, I always feel for the cage grabs. It, it could be a very natural reaction, yet at the same time, I'm always glad to see a referee actually take action and enforce the rules, punish people breaking the rules. So uh, all the praise to Mark Goddard for deducting a point. It it's was very, a really fun fight. 
It was, it was, it was a very good fight. If it wasn't for the main event, this one probably would have been in contention for, for fight of the night. Uh, but that was, that was the main card portion and we will dive into some of the prelims, including, uh, Tyson Pedro against Modestus Bukaskas in light heavyweight action. Uh, they went three rounds with, uh, Bukaskas winning by unanimous decision, 30-27, and then two scores of 29-28. Uh, I had this 30-27 for, uh, Bukaskas, uh, to me, Tyson Pedro, he, I don't know, he just did not have, um, th- these rounds were close, but I just felt that Tyson Pedro just did not step on, on the gas when necessary in a lot of this. And Bukaskis to me was the one that was, uh, the superior striker in all of these rounds. Even when he got taken down in the first round, uh, Pedro was controlling him, but not doing a whole lot uh, of damage. Any, um, strong conclusions coming out of this fight? I don't have any strong conclusions. I thought this fight sucked, but I did score for Bukakis <laughs> as well. Less said, the, the, the better then. Josh Kulabau and Melsic Bodasarian. Uh, this one ended in the second round. So in the, in the first, uh, Bodasarian, uh, ends up, uh, busting open the nose of a uh, Kulabau and he ends up hitting a spin kick to Kulabau's groin. This was one of your worst groin shots that we have seen in recent memory. And dude, I, I was questioning if Kulabau was going to continue here to the point in between rounds. He's telling his corner, I can't breathe. Uh, <laughs> this was, uh, let, let us remind you that this did not require a point deduction, but the fence grab did. So this poor dude, like the idea of a point deduction, it's not just to punish the fighter. It's also to even the playing field of the damage that you have done to this person that you have. The point is to try and even the playing field of this guy who's just had his testicles kicked inside of him. This literally could have ended the fight. He could not breathe. If this is not a point deduction for an accidental foul, I, I do not know what is. Uh, it was absolutely brutal. I couldn't believe he continued, uh, let alone the result in which we will get into. He comes out of the second round and Kulabau hits a straight left, drops Bogdasarian, and gets the back for the rear naked choke at 202 of the second round. Uh, comeback of the year for, for Kulabau. I mean, the man went from like the brink of death to, uh, <laughs> Potentially being up for a bonus, which he did not get uh, at the end of the night. If anyone was would deserve this, his 50k, it was uh, was cool about here. So a uh, big comeback for here, and um, and was also uh, a slight betting favorite going into this fight, but a uh, big recovery here in between rounds. Hey, it was an impressive win, especially considering the uh, brutal groin shots. And and Melsic is no no joke. He's not the best fighter in the world, but. He is very tough, and he's able to freeze a lot of opponents out, but just with his uh, power, his kickboxing ability. So this was a really good win for Josh Kulabau. They also said that Bogdasarian Bo- lost. They also said that Bogdasarian has a like he is deathly afraid of flying, and but he took this fight to f- where they flew him all the way to Australia, clearly taking into consideration this fear of flying, and said his gr- he is petrified about having to fly back home. And they noted early on, but it's always easier to fly home when you're a winner. So poor uh, Bogdasarian is um, you know goes home with the loser's purse and uh, a long flight back home. Shannon Ross took on. Uh, Clegison Rodriguez, who missed weight coming in at 127 pounds for this flyweight fight. He was a big betting favorite. And uh, if you're going to miss weight, this is how you do it. You come in and you just starch the guy. He landed these body kicks, followed with a left hook, and then he unloaded on Shannon Ross. He hit a spin kick and, again, 
attacking the body and then finished him against the cage with strikes. 59 seconds for Clegison Rodriguez as he makes short work uh, despite missing weight for the flyweight contest. Uh, yeah, Rodriguez just blitzed them. It was entertaining to watch. Not a ton to break down, but that's exactly the type of performance you need after a bad weight miss. Francisco Prado took on Jamie Malarkey. This one went the full three rounds with Jamie Malarkey winning all three rounds. The judges scoring it 30-27 across the board. Um, Malarkey just seemed as though, you know, he had a standard game plan here. He was the better striker and did not take too many risks in this fight. I, I can't say too much ab- about this fight. Uh, Prado got cut over the eye, uh, in the, in the first round, took some elbows in the final seconds. It was kind of a rudimentary win for Jamie Malarkey that I don't think is going to be all that much of a standout performance when uh, people are dissecting this card. It was a fight. No, it was a rather dull fight. Uh, Prado was frozen for the majority of it just by Malarkey, who who won based off of his activity, really. So it was a great win for him, but not something that uh, will be remembered by many. One of the stronger performances on the undercard was a Jack Jenkins defeating Don Shinus at uh, 145 pounds. Uh, I thought Jack Jenkins looked very good here. He was a minus 390 favorite uh, coming into this. He's won his last seven fights and was coming off a win on the Contender Series last September. And a John Anik, uh in promoting this fight coming up, noted that Jack Jenkins has broke three men's fibulas in past fights. What a distinction to have. They don't include that on your tapology record. Amount of a fibula shattered in other fights. It was as great of a sell as any. And from some of the leg kicks he was throwing in this fight, I totally believe that. He was trying to make it number four. I wonder if that's how they sold this to Don Shinus or they uh, they kept that, that stat away from him. Hey, we want you to take on the dude who breaks guys' fibulas and keeps them out of action. So, um yeah, big knees from the clinch from Jenkins immediately. He's going to the head and body and also like good takedown defense here. He starts attacking with these brutal leg kicks and also keeping shyness away with his jab. So very strong first round into the second. Uh, this is the second time that shyness landed a low shot and he's given a warning that on the third groin strike, you're going to lose a point. So Jason Herzog, it's, it's, uh, three strikes and you're out. Jenkins gets a uh, trip takedown. He's working in half guard and then attacks the body and the calf. And Shinus would get a takedown and mount him late in the round. But then Jenkins scrambles, gets out of the mount to end the round. So we we saw everything from Jenkins here. Solid round in the third where he dominated on top. And just to punctuate it, shout out Steven Seagal. Front face uh, kick to Don Shinus. And uh, Jenkins win this Wins this fight 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. But I I thought he looked really good here. Not a very deep weight class here at 145 pounds, but um, one of the better performances on the undercard. Jenkins looked phenomenal here. He mixed up his attack to the legs and body beautifully, and his wrestling looked fantastic as well. I I thought he was the star of these early prelims. A few more fights to go on the prelims. Uh, Loma Luke Boonme defeated Elise Reed with a rear naked choke at 44 seconds of the second round. Uh, the first round, uh, it was pretty much uh, a round where the first half, uh, Luke Boonme was lighting up Reed's left leg and you could see the mark on her leg and then busts her nose open. But Reed uh, gets taken down and then gets a reversal and gets on top in half guard and ends up like stealing this round at the end, which you watch the first half of this round, you would not think it possible. But Reed, I think, did enough just to squeak past at the end. Uh, so Luke Boonme was looking to get out of here in the second round.
second round. She just slams Reed down to the mat. Deep choke gets applied with the hooks in and submits Reed in 44 seconds of the second round. So uh, Luke Boonmay improves to 8-3 and three in the women's strawweight division. I like Loma Lukbune. She's always a fun fighter, has a very unique style. Uh, she doesn't usually get finishes, let alone submissions, though. So this was quite the uh, surprising result. This was her second stoppage win of her career. And yeah, it has just been uh, a load of decisions uh, over the last number of years. So um, I, I don't know what the uh, what the prop bet was for a, a Loma Lukbune stoppage in, in the second round, but probably good money to be made there. Shane Young and Blake Builder. Uh, they went three rounds here. Blake Builder, um, to me, on my card, winning the first and third. In the first, he got a takedown and worked from side control, then into half guard. Uh, Shane Young trains out of a city kickboxing, so he was certainly had the crowd behind him here in the second fight of the night. Uh, in the second, Young gets his best combination of the round as he closes the distance. And and then in the third, uh, Young lands with his over-the-top right hand, stops a takedown, each are delivering leg kicks, and then Builder lands several big shots and uh, rocks him with a right hand and uh, I had it 29-28 for Builder the judges had it uh, 30-27 twice and 29-28 as uh, Blake Builder who I kept thinking of Bob the Builder throughout this fight Uh, maybe that could be his uh, nickname moves to 8-0-1 um, my scorecard looked exactly the same as yours. I, I don't remember the fight that well, to be honest. It was a long time ago, but Builder's movement gave Young a, a lot of trouble throughout it, and that allowed him to win rounds based largely off of his activity. Well, uh, a scoring uh, effort that I think some people want to put out of their memory. Zubera Tahugov taking on Elvis Brenner at lightweight. So Brenner was a plus 430 underdog, and... Um, I'd be certainly pissed if I put money on the favorite here. <laughs> Tahugov was one of the biggest favorites on the card. Minus 560. Uh, first round, uh, we see Tahugov getting off more shots. He is just, it's just individual shots. And Brenner is coming back with, with leg kicks. And Tahugov gets cut on the forehead above the nose. And my only conclusion is that this, this cut influenced uh the judges because I, I thought Tahugov won this this round just with the better striking uh throughout the five minutes. The second round is one of the most puzzling rounds ever that a judge scored this for Brenner. I have no argument against it. Tahugov just uses his jab, setting up the right, and he just continues with these combinations, putting Brenner against the fence, and his feints are just giving Brenner all this trouble, and he just jabs and jabs, and then there's a wheel kick to the body by Brenner at the end of the round third um it's the first time that tahugov goes for a level change and there is a spinning back fist that lands for brenner and tahugov holds him against the fence um maybe you can argue that round for for brenner i did not i had it 30 27 for tahugov how did you score this fight i also had a 30 27 in favor of tahugov uh maybe maybe i could see a 29 28 Brenner and I would think you're crazy but I could at least see it a 3027 implies that you gave him the second round and that is incompetence there is no other word for it there is no argument to be made for that scorecard it is insane yeah so they read the scorecards and first they read it out 2928 Brenner I was like Brenner are you kidding me 2829 and then they read 3027. I'm like, okay, so the right guy won because there's no way you could score 3027 for anyone but Tahugov. And they announced Brenner, and I'm just like, 
Are you out of your mind? What's going on? I could not fathom this. I mean, I can the third round. I can I can try and change my logic that you know that spinning uh, that back kick to 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 the bot or the, sorry the spinning back fist by Brenner. To me, for you to find the third and the first, like these are close rounds, but to me, not enough that judges cannot decipher. Like you go look at. People online that are watching this that can decipher close rounds, like there are narrow close rounds that we're talking a coin flip difference. There's also close rounds where you can still see the winner and the loser. The scoring criteria should not be so far apart that there's this crazy latitude between scoring. The second round for Brenner is just there's no argument. Like you can't you can't even start that conversation. I don't know how in the world there's a 3027 card for Elvis Brenner. But uh yes. That is that is how the night started, and I would have been furious if I was Tahugov, who absolutely won this fight. Yeah, I I really disagreed with the scorecards here. I thought this was one of the worst decisions in a long time. Uh, I will say I don't think Tahugov looked like a minus uh, whatever favorite he no. was. The fight was far more competitive than that. Uh, this is Brenner's UFC debut, I believe, and he has an interesting style. We didn't get to see his grappling, but you, you saw Charles Oliveira in his corner, and he very much fought like... Uh, uh, with all due respect, like a great value, Charles Oliveira in, in his striking style. So I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more from him. But uh, this was just a crazy decision. Absolutely crazy. A few notes also coming out of the show. We got the announcement that uh, entering the UFC Hall of Fame this year in the Pioneer Wing will be Jens Pulver, the former UFC lightweight champion. Um I know Jens Palver was uh, probably uh, winning titles before you were born, Eric. But um, what did you think about this edition of uh, Jens Palver? Who, I mean, for people that did not live through Jens Palver, I mean, you just look at his record, and, it, and it's certainly not a Hall of Fame record. But to me, he was always one of the in the infancy of the lightweight division. I mean, this was a guy that, to me, that first fight with BJ Penn, it was. Uh, I remember when that fight was announced, and the talk of like everywhere online was that. It is a countdown to Jens Pulver being led to slaughter against this new lightweight BJ Penn that is going to just take over MMA. And it was just like nobody gave Jens Pulver a shot. And when he won that fight, dude, I thought it was like the most dramatic win ever. It's one of my favorite fights ever at UFC 35. And, you know, for somebody, again, in the very infancy of the UFC's lightweight division, he was that guy in 2001 and then 2002. And then, of course, had the, the dispute with the UFC where, I mean, you think guys are underpaid now. I mean, these guys in two, th- think about what they were being paid in 2002, uh, and leaves, leaves the company, but then came back years later after fighting for pride for the Bushido shows and then coached the ultimate fighter season five with BJ Penn. And they had their rematch, um, that, BJ Penn won, and it was a fight where if you go back and watch, BJ Penn locks on this choke, and it's over, and he just like holds on to this choke on uh on poor Jens Pulver, but also had that fight with Uriah Faber that was a very big fight for WEC at the time in uh, 2008. So I think a lot of people were really happy to see Pulver announced, and they had him his live reaction on the Twitch stream that he does for the UFC, so he's finding out like everybody else. It, it, it clearly meant a lot to him. He was very emotional when they announced it. Uh, whenever people talked about the strange absences from the UFC Hall of Fame, I think Jens Pulver is always one of the first pe- names that people say, especially because he has a very good relationship with the company now. He does so much of their streaming stuff on Twitch. 
uh, he's a very worthy uh, inductee into the Hall of Fame. As you said, a lot of his prime were far before I st- started watching. Uh, in fact, <laughs> many of his prime years were spent before I started at an elementary school. So uh, that's far in the past. But with uh, tools like Fight Pass, you can relive uh, quite a lot of his great fights, including his WEC run, where he had that spectacular, quick choke stoppage over Cub Swanson in his WEC debut. Perhaps what I will always remember him most for, of course, is season five of The Ultimate Fighter, which I think is the best season of The Ultimate Fighter. It's a very entertaining season. And uh, hey, I would induct that season as a whole into the UFC Hall of Fame one day. Why not? Yeah, that was the season that uh, produced uh, Nate Diaz and uh, Manny Gamburian in the final. And, you know, it was the all lightweight season. And it was I I thought it was the best season from not just the quality of fighters that came out of that, but also like the 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 feud between BJ Penn and Jens Pulver was still like a big deal at, at that time. And uh, this was 2007. So the novelty of tough was certainly uh, t- still existed. Um, Jens Pulver also put out a book like years ago. He had a, a horrible upbringing. Um, he has quite the story behind him. I mean, he is somebody that you certainly very easy to root for this guy. So that, that was a cool moment on the show for Jens Pulver to be announced. Um, on the subject of Ultimate Fighter, we haven't talked since the announcement of uh, Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler, who will coach the next season of Tough. We are up to uh, the 30s now, and this will air on both ESPN and ESPN Plus. How interested in, uh, in the actual series are you with this coaching, or is it strictly, um, this is just another tough season that will be – is there any opportunity to grab interest for tough in 2023? There is absolutely nothing that the UFC could possibly do under any circumstance to make me watch tough again. It's just – it's too far into it. I do not care. I do not care about Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler coaching these fighters. Uh, I think the concept that we've heard uh, thrown around is that it's – uh, prospects versus fighters that have been cut from the UFC. So maybe if there are some interesting names in there, you'll get some interest. And I'm sure some people will watch just because Conor McGregor is very famous, but I have zero interest in this. Yeah. I mean, for the timing of it all, I mean, this is, this is to me your, your last ditch effort for tough and getting it on ESPN. Like we will see if that can have some noticeable effect, but quite honestly, I think this fight, it's going to draw what it's going to draw on pay-per-view, like for Connor and Chandler, regardless of how much television time they get or not. Um, we'll see, uh, with Connor McGregor, it's, uh, I mean, so many question marks, uh, attached to him, all of his outside the cage problems. I think that's going to be a turnoff to some people, but, uh, this will likely be the biggest fight of, of the year, just in terms of like what that fight is going to generate when they, when they compete in the fall. Uh, other things before we wrap up, uh, the net, I would say the next two weeks of Apex cards, pretty dire stuff. Although I think we're getting a slightly better main event next week where, uh, Talia Santos is out of the main event with Aaron Blanchfield after her corners couldn't get visas. So Jessica Andrade is stepping in on a week's notice to fight Blanchfield. And then the week after that, it is Ryan Spann against Nikita Krylov in your main event. Oh, that is horrible. That what a, that's that is the worst thing I've ever heard. My God, you can't uh, headline a show of that. I'll tell you what the real main event is. It's the return of Tatiana Suarez on that card against Montana De La Rosa. That has far more interest for me at the very least. Yes, that's much better. Wow, that's, dire is the word. But you know what? After those two weeks and we go into March, it's out of the apex and it's, 
it's quite the run of shows that they've got. So the next time Eric and I will be here, uh, will be on Sunday, March the 5th with the UFC 285 post show, which is the return of John Jones. Unless anything happens between now and March 4th, when he takes on Surreal Gone, the fight that Dana White has stated is bigger than John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. And uh, Valentina Shevchenko taking on Alexa Grasso. Shavkat Rachmanov is in action against Jeff Neal. Bo Nickel is on this card. Uh, Drikus Duplessis taking on Derek Brunson. Ian Gary on this show. Uh, Jessica Penne. It, it's, it's, it's a very good card. But, of course, the uh, 98% of the promotion will be around John Jones. Uh, naturally, of course, he is the big returning star after a three years or however away. Uh, much like Conor McGregor, there are a lot of uh, moral hurdles we have to jump through in order to enjoy this. But uh, that's the sport. And then after that, uh, you know, throughout March, they've got uh, Piotr Jan against Marab Vili on March 11th. UFC 286 is March 18th with uh, the Edwards Usman third fight for the welterweight title. Uh, Marlon Vera against Corey Sanhagen, March 25th. And then UFC 287 is April 8th with the rematch between Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya and Gilbert Burns against Jorge Masvidal. Might not be a great homecoming for Jorge Masvidal that night in Miami, Florida. But uh, quite the run of uh, cards that they have coming up in March and early April. There is some really exciting stuff there, which uh, almost makes up for the remainder of February. But not quite. <laughs> Not, not quite. What, what is, what is the big fight for you over, over the stretch? Is it Ovin St. Prue and, uh, Philippe Linz, uh, at light heavyweight next week? Oh, no, that is, that's next week. That sounds horrible. Uh, I, it is John Jones versus Hirogan. I think just with John Jones finally making the move up to heavyweight after all these years against Hirogan, who I, I think is the best heavyweight in the world. I thought he beat Francis Ngannou when they fought last year. I'm really interested to see how that one plays out. But Usman versus Edwards will have everyone's attention as well. And you know what? Jorge Masvidal versus Gilbert Burns. I I favor Gilbert Burns, as does most people. But I think that could be a far more entertaining and competitive fight than some think as well. Well, it wouldn't be a UFC post show unless we heard from a one New Jersey native. Eric, say it. Say it, Eric. Do it for me. You know what I'm talking about. See you in Montreal. Brandon wants me to say, let's go golfing, because he keeps sending me this video of this guy saying, let's go golfing. So uh, is, uh, whatever you want to call it, I'm not going to be in Montreal. Uh, but if I'm going to give a shout out to Brandon from New Jersey here, I will say he, he played me in a very, very impressive game of words with friends today. He he went all out. So So props to you, Brandon. Wow. Okay. Well, he adds, do you think they will promote Cocaine Bear during the John Jones card? No, because Cocaine Bear comes out the, the, the weekend before. I think the, uh, the promotional run will be over. Dude, that was, it was insane how many reads John uh... Anik had to do with a, with a straight face. And here we are, like the two top pound for pound fighters start the fight and John Anik, this fight brought to you by Cocaine Bear. I mean, just a, an MMA moment if there ever was one of like, it's, <laughs> it's like the, the equivalent of like, you know, to, just imagine like, you know, Ali Frazier and there's Howard Cosell, uh, promoting Cocaine Bear or Heroin Harry of whatever your 1974, uh, comparison would be, 72. Yeah, but- 
the the ad reads from John Anik were really at the Ned's level for this card. Oh my God, the Ned's level. Yes, that that is all. They're not getting any free promotion. Are, are you going to see the aforementioned movie? No, I'm not going to watch this movie. There, I don't want to do anything this UFC broadcast tells me to. All of their products, all of the things they show. You're not I on crypto. Not you're no. not. Uh, you're not getting on V Chain or anything like that. I'm not buying Logan Paul's expensive energy drinks. I, I'm not doing any of this stuff. I'm not watching Cocaine Bear. I, I don't even know what Ned's is. I'm out. Remember, we wanted to get rid of uh, sponsors on Fighters Shorts because we didn't want to turn this into NASCAR. We didn't want this to look like just billboards here as we watch an octagon that's just littered with all of this, uh, all of the, these things uh, competing for your dollars. But that is. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. That's going to wrap up our uh, our commerce post show uh, for Eric Marcotte. I am John Pollock. Thanks to everybody for tuning in or downloading this show. Again, Eric and I will be back Sunday, March the 5th, AEW Revolution Day, uh, when we will do, be doing a, a post show in the afternoon and chatting about the return of John Jones after three years and uh, much more. So thanks to everybody. And that's it. Goodbye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 